emotional intelligence. Who's doing this one? It was you, Ricky. No, it's not. You were supposed to have prepped. What are Don't you talking about? Do not fuck with me. Well, you do have someone gaslighting. Do <laughs> not fuck with me. No Clear Answers, where we explore the common challenges all humans, creators, and leaders face and break down preconceived notions of common self-help ideas. We are your hosts. I'm Ricky Goldenberg. I'm Justin Mulvaney. And I'm Corey Wilkes. What are we here for today, y'all? Oh, that's my job. <laughs> I was like, we don't know. <laughs> Should have kept staring at Ricky. I tried to gaslight her earlier that it was her episode to run today. <laughs> Ricky, what are you doing? Um, you should be prepared. We are diving into emotional intelligence today. We're going to cover all of it. No. Um, I, I imagine emotional intelligence will be a recurring topic on No Clear Answers. There's lots of different – we can dive into specific emotions. We can talk about all different sorts of things. And so today – I kind of want to do emotional intelligence 101 with everybody. And really the broad theme is what do we even mean when we say emotional intelligence? And then when we start to imagine each of our domains, how do we see people, people's success, how people navigate it affected by, Hey, some folks who maybe have a higher emotional intelligence or some who don't have as much emotional intelligence. And of course, recommendations and all those things at the end. So where I want to start is I we, there's a tension we found on the podcast where we define these terms or we, we introduce these terms and then we go, what the heck do we mean when we say it? And then we, we talk for an hour and at the end we go, we, don't, we still don't know what we mean. And with emotional intelligence, what I want to invite is I don't actually think it's as – I don't think the three of us need a shared definition. Because I don't think there's a single shared definition out there for what we mean when we say this. And so what I actually want to do is start out with what do each of us mean when we say emotional intelligence and use the episode as an opportunity to explore overlap in these definitions, differences in these definitions, the implication of it to really let like the whole world of what we might mean when we say emotional intelligence be here. So in there was the question I want to kick us off with, which is Ricky, Corey, what do you mean, you mean, when you say emotional intelligence? Can I make the doctor go first? Because, come on. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, Ricky. It's, it's our podcast. There's no rules. Right? There's no clear Corey. answers. Oh, my goodness. But I'm like, Corey, you got to go first. I can't go first on this because I feel like I, what, whatever my impression is going to be, Corey's going to come in with something – fucking beautiful and fluid and completely well-informed with a lot of swear words in the middle. So Corey, please go first, please. <laughs> sure. Uh, so to me, and yeah, I can quote some random theories and shit, but right. Me, <laughs> this guy to, to me personally slash professionally, <clears throat> emotional intelligence comes down to your ability to identify label and regulate slash respond to emotions either your ability to regulate your own or your ability mm -hmm. to respond to the emotions of others so that is my very just simple working definition for it i feel exactly the same i literally think it's just being able to like be self-aware recognize your own emotions figure out terminology for them i think is incredibly important i think that's one of the hardest things like even recognizing labeling and then making decisions from that. I think the space that gets a little bit trickier in emotional intelligence is that oftentimes for me, at least we talk about it as being like EQ and it has a lot to do with other people's emotions. And so emotional intelligence often is this mixture of like your own and others emotions. And I think that um, for me, at least oftentimes I think about emotional intelligence for yourself internally and recognition 
that it's, it is difficult to be emotionally intelligent about someone else's emotions because you're not in their own head. And so that that's where I think emotional intelligence can be a little bit trickier because people, I think, sometimes think empathy is emotional intelligence. Uh, it, I, I really think Corey's definition, the way that you just described it, is perfect. It's basically being able to recognize, label, and regulate or navigate the emotions that you're that you're feeling or maybe that someone else is presenting to you but i don't think about it as being like a mind reader which is how i feel like it sometimes i it's perceived i i am 100 aligned with you ricky i i might have done it on a podcast but i have there is a rant in this body about how our society thinks that empathy is emotional intelligence thinks that emotional intelligence is um i see when you have emotions and then even then though like it's like i kind of cater to you like i help like i help dis dissipate the emotion rather than move it through at least that was the definition i had people would be like you're so emotionally intelligent what they actually meant is you're empathetic and then you'll kind of hero people out of their emotions and and i think there's a, a plague of we think that's what emotional intelligence is. And God, it's, it's so much deeper than that. Yeah. yeah I think you, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. There's a lot of psychopathology <laughs> in that way of thinking. Right. Or there's a lot of narrative around like, what, what are they called? Like very sensitive people or something. The highly, highly sensitive, sensitive people, highly HSB. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's again, like as a psychologist, I, I skew one way or the other, but based on what I see from a lot of people who in, endorse that identity and claim to have a high level of empathy in air quotes, it's actually just very thinly veiled psychopathology. You got way deeper shit going on. That isn't EQ. That isn't because there's, there's no real identifying labeling or responding to things. You're more so cowering. You are catering. There's, or, or you are just a wash in emotions that is not the same as having an actual ability of, of self-awareness and self-regulation that is part and parcel of EQ, at least as far as the conversation we're having today. I want to uh -huh. get more specific with stories and how we see this show up. There's, I want to keep us in concept land just one minute longer because there's an important part of that we're starting to get into of Corey's definition that I want to double click into, which is you said, Corey, um, emotional awareness. I'm aware when there are emotions in me or others agree. That's the first step of mine. I, I would say emotional literacy. I'm, I'm capable of identifying, especially in me, what is the emotion that's here, both at a high level and a level of granularity. But then you said regulate and respond. Mm -hmm. And what I'm wanting to know is what do you mean by that? How does – because what do you mean by regulate could mean a lot of things. And how do you view an emotionally intelligent response? So specifically around how to regulate. So <clears> – What do you mean when you say that? What do you mean when you say emotional intelligence is the capacity to regulate? What the hell do we mean by that? Yeah. So the opposite would be emotional dysregulation, right? When you are emotionally dysregulated, it means you are not in control of your experiences, your expressions, or your responses, right? When, when, again, especially as a psychologist, like for me to say somebody is emotionally dysregulated, it means they're just having a fucking meltdown in, in, in like layman terms, right? <clears throat> so emotional. So I hear they, they are being, they are being controlled by those emotions. Their emotions Correct. are like running them a little bit more. Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay. And, and we can get more into that because like some people like that experience, especially some people in like the arts, they feel that that is more of a, 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 a strength than a hindrance for them because they can in air quotes, fully experience the, the range of human emotions. I would disagree, mm. but you know, we, we all know that I am emotionally a caveman apparently, but emotional regulation <clears throat> isn't, uh, the, the denial of emotions, right? I think like Nassim Taleb talks about like with stoicism or something about how it is the domestication of emotions rather than denying emotions, right? I'm sure I'm bushing that quote. 
But emotional regulation to me is me choosing how do I want to respond to this emotional state that I'm currently experiencing? To what degree do I want to experience it? In what way do I want to respond to it? And that is a very specific skill set that isn't fully related to any other skill set, right? And I'm sure we'll go more into this later about like IQ versus EQ, right? <clears throat> there are plenty of people who are super intelligent, super accomplished, but have very low ability to self-regulate or to, to label their emotions or, or have that emotional literacy or awareness, right? This is its own skill set, which also means it takes its own dedicated practice to learning the skills of emotional regulation of how do I understand what emotion I'm experiencing in the first place, right? Like I, one, I need to be aware of when I'm experiencing emotions, period, what can potentially trigger those emotions, right? And, and just the regular definition of trigger, like anything that procs that emotion or stimulates that emotion, what is this actual emotion itself? And how does it differ from maybe similar or, or cousin emotions. And then at that point, what is the most adaptive response that I want to engage in rather than allowing myself to be awash with emotions and engaging in maladaptive responses to it? Yeah. What, what I see in mind, I, our definitions are actually Corey surprisingly more tightly aligned than I would have expected given how you veer away and I veer toward, um, mm -hmm. Again, I had emotional awareness, emotional literacy. <clears throat> I do think the core skill of emotional intelligence that you're pointing to is the capacity to be in conscious choice when emotions show up in me and others, not to be in automatic responses. And I think one of the core skills of that, that I would say in emotional regulation, one is the capacity to actually feel the physical sensations of emotions without making meaning about them. So where most people get emotionally dysregulated is an emotion comes up and they either go in avoidance to not experience the physical sensations or they, they get fixated on the emotion as something to fix. Like the emotion is an experience I'm having because I need to change something out in the world. That's another form of, of high functioning emotional reactivity. Whereas a core scale of emotional regulation for me is, well, emotion at its core is actually physical sensation in the body. And it's mm. the capacity to both notice the emotion and notice the physical sensation of the emotion. If there's something there to dispel that physical sensation, to match it, to get it out, to actually do that. So physical sensations aren't running you. This, in my experience, is especially important with anger. Like anger is a, is heat, it's pressure, it's a lot in the body and it is hard to regulate anger without punching a pillow or moving it through. And then lastly, the core skill of emotional intelligence for me is then actually going, well, without the emotion running me, there is some intelligence in the emotion. This is the way I play with it. Me, which is emotional intelligence is all emotions are intelligent. And it's saying, I'm not going to let the emotion run me, but it is telling me something. There is data in the emotion. And so the core skill of emotional intelligence is I can get the data from the emotion and then choose what I want to do about it rather than being run by the emotion when it shows up. It's, a, it's information. I think that anger is a really good emotion to use as the, as the investigative element here, right? Because anger is, it's usually in response to something. It's usually in reaction to something. And so that feeling of anger itself might not, might be a lot to regulate and respond to and recognize. But once we are able to do that, we can get better at being at investigating. Why am I angered? What is going on? Do I need to communicate something? Do I need to partner with someone in a certain way? And that self-awareness can make a huge difference. I think about it as, um, I was just trying to confirm that I knew her name, Susan David, who wrote emotional agility. Right. She, she talks a lot about our emotions and how we navigate them and the dangers that, and pitfalls that we fall into. And one of the things that she says is that oftentimes we fall into two camps, which is we either brood or we bottleneck with our emotions, right? Bottleneck to me sounds a lot like, okay, we're shoving it down I'm, it's, and then it erupts, right? It doesn't, it's not like, 
it goes away. And if we brood, it almost translates for me into rumination, right? I'm just like hanging out and spiraling in the emotion rather than doing something with it. And God, when we talk about emotional agility, emotional intelligence this way, I'm like, how does anyone get this confused with empathy? But that's... <laughs> I don't think it's confused. I think most people think we, we're, a lot of the culture is that they mean empathy by emotional intelligence. I actually mm. think the real meaty definition doesn't live as much out in the world. Mm. So one thing you all are talking about, like with anger, right? <clears throat> so the way I look at EQ is like a box of crayons. Okay. So just bear with me for a second. So the, one of the stereotypes is like a lot of men, especially in, in, you know, like American society are pretty emotionally stunted. They have low EQ collectively, stereotypically versus women who tend to process their emotions more. They are, they tend to be better at labeling them hypothetically. So a lot of dudes our box of crayons, our ability to label emotions, we get like four crayons. We got four colors, right? Three, three or four colors. I am allowed to be happy, horny, and angry. Like I, I don't have, I can't There's label only three what colors, it, Corey. I know, yeah, I right? There was gonna be four. Four is, is miscellaneous, right? Maybe, <laughs> like maybe look, man, maybe I just go to fucking Bob Evans and I just get like the three fucking crayons. Okay. Red, blue, and yellow. And you just got to figure it the fuck out from there. Okay. Four is like, miscellaneous. <laughs> All so, others. So, well, cause here's the thing. If I only have my red crayon to label it as anger, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even have the language for what it means to feel embarrassed, vulnerable, judged, right? Like, that, that these aren't terms that I can even identify. Right. Cause again, same thing. Stereotypically dudes suck at labeling colors, right? It's like, Oh, well, that car was red. Well, it was it cherry apple apple. Was it fire engine? Was it fucking, you know, whatever. Right. Like again, stereotypically dudes are like, ah, it was red. EQ follows a similar path of, I, I was pissed off. Were you though? Were you angry? Did you feel legitimate anger, whatever that means? Or were you frustrated? Did you mm -hmm. feel embarrassed? Did you feel vulnerable for a second because somebody said something about you that you didn't want to be publicly known? Well, my only way of labeling any of those is anger. You pissed me off. And the only way, the only one or two ways I know to deal with anger, this emotion that I labeled as anger, is to punch something, is to yell, is to go take a walk, whatever. So this, this low EQ, this inability to, to expand your box of crayons really fucks a lot of people up because it's just like, I just, I label everything with this one crayon because I don't have a box of 64 crayons with like eight or 12 different shades of red and all the things that make up under the, the umbrella of potentially anger or a more negative hostile emotion, right? So part of, of helping people develop EQ is basically expanding their box of crayons of saying, really sit with this emotion for a second. What is it? It isn't mm -hmm. anger. It's something else. Let's dig into it. Let's, let's separate these shades. And now we can look at what are other ways of responding to these different emotions. So you're not responding to everything the same maladaptive way. I think it was in one of the books that I read I'm, I'm going to, I'm not positive. It was Gottman, like the Gottman Institute that put together, it's like a list of a hundred emotions. I'm like, that's a lot of emotions. And I, I think it's Gottman, I think it's Gottman, but reading through it, it, it's wild, right? Like most people just use anger, but anger could be embarrassment. It could be any of these other shades within that kind of like over encompassing language. And I think that nuance and that curiosity is incredibly beneficial, right? Are you angry because you're embarrassed? There's a different response than that, than another type of, you know, anger adjacent emotions. And I think that um, it's so hard. It's so hard because I feel like so often the time that we feel emotions is when we're, when we're in the emotion. So you're like kind of sitting in it and trying to like get to the surface and then you're just feeling anger, you're just feeling 
depression or you're just feeling these big feelings. Whereas when we get better and more self-aware and able to note and hang out with our emotions, like get to hang out with the crayons really, rather than just let them color us, you there's more opportunity to get more nuanced around, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is where it's coming from. I can actually identify it. I can decide what I want to do with it. I can decide if it's something that I need to do something about it right now, or if it's something that I can actually let sit and it's not as big a deal as I'm making it out to be so hard. I want to take us out of concept land now. And I want to zoom out from anger because this, we're not just doing the the episode on anger. I want us to be able to have a whole spectrum conversation. But that makes me angry. What would you like to emotionally, (laughs) intelligently handle your anger? (laughs) Um, I want to, I want to paint a picture for each of our audiences can you can we paint a picture and envision in each of these spaces what how is emotional intelligence relevant how is it relevant in your career how is it relevant as a creator how is it relevant as a leader and specifically can we paint a picture maybe we have specific client stories maybe we have specific examples of what does emotional intelligence actually look like in the trenches Versus what might those same scenarios look like? Or what are some stories of, hey, here's what emotional intelligence, what looks like not being emotionally intelligent in a situation? Can I give you an example? I would love, like, and here, I, it's, a, it's an example. Back it's like, like real war stories are really helpful for folks. So maybe some real life examples. Okay. I have to, I have to think about language because, you know, client confidentiality, but I, I can give you some concept content here, which is that. I, for example, I worked with someone who is incredibly talented, right? Just a very talented person. They are charismatic. They're magnetic. People want to work with them desperately. You know, as soon as you meet them, you're like, God damn, I want to meet with this person. They always seem to have their shit together. And so from an external perspective, you'd look at that person and you'd say, like, why would you need a coach, right? Why would you need a therapist? You're so well-adjusted. And part of the component that they were working through was this, the dis, the dissonance that they were experiencing between how they presented in the world and how they felt internally and where that bubbled to the surface. And so that emotional intelligence required, for example, receiving feedback at work, right? They'd be receiving feedback from their manager and it would throw them for an entire emotional tailspin. Because what it was really covering off was this deep-seated feeling of bringing in, you know, past traumas from different places they had worked, having a lot of self-confidence components that they were trying to work through, and also recognizing their desire and requirement of external validation from external sources because that's what gave them comfort. And so working through and becoming more emotionally intelligent in that situation with this client, game changer. Like when they realized that the reason why they were constantly asking for feedback and constantly saying, hey, is this okay? And even the language that they were using was soft. When they realized it was because what they were seeking was validation. And then they understood that that validation doesn't actually need to come from this source. It can actually come internally from me. And it's not how I need to present and show up at the workplace. It totally changed the way that they work. That was much more congruent with how they appeared, which is just badass. And how they perform, which is a badass. Whereas previously they had been kind of playing small and it was because they were unaware that what they were doing was hurting themselves. Does it make sense? Makes sense over here. I, and I, that's like one of these, it's, it's a recent story, but it was so, it was such an eye opener, right? This is a person who's really smart, really talented, but they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot because they were playing small, because they were having fears. They were coming up and manifesting, seeking for validation from external sources. So when they got clear that they were like, oh, wait, that's not how I need to work with this person. I I can work with them differently. I don't need this from them. It totally changed the way that they show up at work. Totally changed the way that they lead, actually. Corey, what about for folks in content creator land. This is what I was thinking about this before the episode. And I was like, Corey's audience, I, this is something I I really don't have much insight into. How is emotional intelligence relevant for folks who are out there working on 
content, YouTube, Twitter, writing, whatever. Yeah. So on an individual basis, right. EQ allows you to better manage stress, right. For one, right. It allows you to better get along with other people when you start to collaborate on projects and things. So those are just very practical instances of it. But when it comes to creating content, <clears throat> a lot of high level creators consider what emotion do I want my audience to experience when they engage with my content? Mm. Okay. Now, so like, for example, like with YouTubers, for example, that might mean the music choice they use in their videos and how it changes, right? That coupled with their storytelling skills, right? Of like, when do I want to amp up the tension? When do I want to have release? When do I want them to feel inspired versus, you know, angry, things like this. So your ability to understand EQ makes you a better storyteller, right? And, and, and with any kind of storyteller, right? Like any of your favorite authors or directors or whoever, a lot of them likely have a higher EQ because that allows them what to identify, to label and to basically craft or manipulate the response to emotions, right? That is what makes a compelling story is the emotions you experience throughout that story. Okay. Um, <clears throat> The other thing is people are, people tend to be attracted to people with higher EQs, right? Like think of the majority, again, of your favorite creators and things. Most of them are probably, they're charismatic. They have a, a, a larger personality, a more magnetic personality. People say a lot of that, not all, but a lot of that can be attributed to a higher EQ. Okay. The other thing is a lot of creators, especially some of the ones who come to me, they either also dabble in coaching or some sort of service-based work and with any kind of service-based work, but especially coaching, which I think we can all um, agree on is having a high EQ allows you to effectively facilitate change with your clients because it allows you to create psychological safety, right? That is one of those like fundamental skills that whether you are, actively creating content, collaborating with other people service wise, or just, you know, just a regular collab or your ability to just manage your own stress so that you can do the, the shit you need to do as an entrepreneur and as a creator, all of that is rooted in a higher EQ. I, I, I just, what comes alive is especially for this coaching point is mm -hmm. the reason why it's most important for me is people can get stuck in patterns that are sitting on top of unfelt emotions for years of their life. Mm. That's my experience. And I I've, I've worked with folks who, especially in the startup high risk spaces, like I'm thinking of one client in particular who had a really hard first inning of their career really hard. I mean, took it on the teeth, took hit after hit after hit after hit. And as they were kind of transitioning into the second inning, found a lot of self-defeating narratives, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of like second guessing, not going for the, the big opportunities that they were attracted to. And we, you, we, I could have talked to them about content all day long. Okay. Well, here's how you got to do your resume. Here's this, blah, blah, blah. But what was happening was there was a well of unfelt grief underneath it. Holy shit, that first inning of my that first inning of my career was so hard. And I am so sad that I'm not where I thought I would be. And until they could they could plug into that and actually start to just be with some of that sadness. Those patterns were just going to keep on repeating themselves, repeating themselves, repeating themselves, repeating themselves. And so the other thing in this work where emotional intelligence is so important is that the, 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 this is going back to our initial point where the difference between empathy where it's like going, oh, that must have been so hard versus like underneath the surface, I think you are devastated about the first inning of your career and you need to just sit down and grieve is the difference between offering some, but like having them still have ten, the 10 pound grill on their back and going, that must be hard versus like, let's get the 10 pound grill off your back here. 
And just briefly to now one more thing in the other advantage for leaders and the folks I work with, and I'll, I'll go into all my points is as you get more emotionally intelligent, you can facilitate that for the people that you lead because they're going to get stuck on top of unfelt emotions too. And, and a lot of drama at companies is because leaders can't see that somebody else is having an emotion and they're pushing or they're doing something versus just going, I think you're, I think you're really frustrated here. And I think you just need to be frustrated for a bit. Or I think you're really sad for how that's not working out and let's create some space for grief. And I think that's such a fund fundamental skill to really effective leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I think that as you get better at being aware of your own emotions and regulating them and responding to them in ways that are reasonable and human, it, it changes the game. I think, Corey, when you said psychological safety, absolutely. I can't, I can't create psychological safety with my team or as a leader, you can't create that psychological safety if you yourself are not psychologically safe internally. You know, if I'm at constantly at war and I'm ruminating and I'm brooding or I'm having coming from startups or working at consulting, we've all experienced working with someone who you're like, oh God, yeah, that's the guy who throws a stapler. But how are you going to create psychological safety when that person is someone who is reactive and responsive or you're working with a person who anytime you give them bad news, they just start crying. Like, how is that a strong, like we, it's, it's, and I'm not saying that crying makes you weak or throwing a stapler makes you inept. It's more just recognizing that if we are taking time to connect with, understand, label, regulate our own emotions, it allows us to create that space to help someone take the gorilla off their back. If I'm also struggling and have a gorilla on my mood, suddenly it's a gorilla party. We're not able to create that space and you're just not an effective leader. You're just hanging out with gorillas. It doesn't work. And I think that it's, it's a lot of work. I think about you, we were talking and I was thinking about, I, had, I was with my, my coach this morning, my supervisor coach, and I was talking about a, a tricky client that I have. And I was saying, I, and it's so interesting because we're talking about this now. And now I feel like, Oh, look at me. Let me tell you about a time that I did this well, but I was having this conversation with my coach and I was like, listen, I have this client. They're not doing anything wrong. It's me. I was like, I know it. They're doing this thing. It's pissing me off. It's creating judgment. I was like, I can feel myself judging them and it's not conducive. And I'm trying to understand where is this coming from? How can I still support them? Should I not, should I not be working with them if I'm having this response? Right. It's like, that's where the good shit is. Cause rather than just me being pissed at this client and taking it out on them, I was like, oh, I'm having this response to this person. Is this the right space for this to show up? What can I be doing? so that I'm more effective in how I partner and coach and also previously lead. Can I give a counterpoint, which is meta? Yeah. Because we're talking about EQ. So <clears throat> obviously I'm not your coaching supervisor, but again, my training with coaching and then therapy, when you have a reaction to a client like that, one, it's super good to be very aware of that. But a, a follow-up question you can ask is, is my reaction emblematic of reactions other people have to this person and the way they behave, right? right? Because coach, coaching is a microcosm a lot of times of how this person engages with people in the rest of, of the world. Exactly. So if they're doing something that is, that is just, just rubbing you the wrong way, most likely that is something that is an experience many other people in their orbit also have. That can be a great talking point within coaching, but you have to have the, the ability to to be aware of that and label it and then respond effectively. Yes. I just, I Wait, just, so I Corey had to say and I, it. no, it's so good because Corey, like, this was the conversation that I was having today, right? I was like, I'm having this response. And I literally said, because I also see it as a pattern in this person. Like, I'm, I now know the last 15 years they've worked. And I'm seeing it happen with everyone that they've been working with. And I'm like, how am I, how and where and what, what does the challenge look like come from me that can help them recognize this pattern? Because if it's coming up for me, I was like, dude, it's coming up for everybody who works with them. So a hundred percent, Corey, like this is, you're not my coaching supervisor, but were you in the room? Like it was so interesting because we were having this conversation. Guys, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence is so good for us. All right, I'm lassoing us back in. Come on back, <laughs> that, Justin. That what's was up? that was me. If you're not going to see my video because I wasn't talking, but I was swinging a lasso in there to to bring us back. Though I do think that was a useful story. Um, 
I want to do. I want to paint a little bit for me um, of how I see this plays in play in leaders. We'll play emotionally intelligent, unemotionally intelligent, and I'm gonna do it by the five core emotions. Now, this is there's a lot of theories of emotion out there. We're not gonna go super deep into them. You can have a a deep philosophical conversation about what is an emotion, blah, blah, blah. There's a great book called How Emotions Are Made by a neuroscientist. I think it's Lisa Feldman Barrett, might be Lisa. It's one of those. If you're really into that stuff, go read that. I'm going to use the five core emotions because I find it really useful in a Western context, especially. I've already covered sadness or grief and how that can screw with leadership. One thing that I see this really happening, and I can think of a couple founders where this happened around fundraises or product launches, or even this year, we're recording this in 2023, and it's been a really hard year for tech. And there's a lot of sadness and grief that has dropped in for what the year wasn't versus what people wanted it to be. And where I see, um, quote unquote, the emotionally unintelligent responses to go, I'm feeling sad. And I'm either going to deny it or I'm going to kind of wallow in it. And then founders and leaders get really stuck because they're not responsive anymore. They're stuck in sadness. They're stuck in how things weren't and they wanted them to be. Or they're maybe trying to catch up for how things didn't go versus being an acceptance of the current standard. Whereas where I've seen founders, really emotionally intelligent founders adapt is they identify, they go, man, I'm really, there's a lot of grief and sadness for here for how things haven't gone. And normally you can take a weekend and you can feel it. And then suddenly they're just dropped in acceptance and they can actually be with, here's where my business is. Here's where my team is. Here's where the market is. What's the best decision from here? So that's sadness. Anger is calling me to next, which anger is especially one where people get really stuck. We've kind of talked about it. And the model in my head is the two most common ways that we get stuck is we either um, ignore the emotion, suppress it, and do a bunch of stuff to try and avoid it. Or we we do a bunch of stuff to try and like fix the emotion. Like I got to do something out there to make it go away. And that's usually in my experience is what we say when the emotion is running you. I'm sad, therefore I need to go fix something in the world. I'm angry, therefore I need to go be angry out in the world to fix things. And I see this most frequently with leaders when something's wrong with their teams, addressing performance issues or somebody who's not a right fit, where an emotionally unintelligent leader will know that they're frustrated, know that, know that they're angry, and they may do a couple things. If they're getting run by it, they might go in and they may get super blamey. They may be like, you're not doing this right. You, you, you're a failure. You're, you're not meeting your expectations. You need to perform better, which is not particularly helpful. Or they may either one, just avoid addressing it altogether or really beat around the bush where somebody can't get the message. And what, where I see really emotionally intelligent leaders with anger is they can just step in and they can either go, one, this isn't working right now. And we need to be able to address it not from a place of blame or avoidance, but just being really honest. Or, hey, I'm, I'm disappointed. Your performance wasn't where I wanted it to be. And just be able to hit that head on. So that's anger. I know it's going through the whole list might get boring. <laughs> um, but I'll rush, rush through it. I will do fear and then I'll, I'll co-do happiness and, and creative energy. Um, fear is another big one. I see founders and leaders running away from fear. Most people running away from fear 24-7 like all of the time. And they're either uh, a big thing, avoidance and procrastination. The root for me is so frequently fear that it's unreal. It's like, there's a task here. And I notice I feel fear as I get close to it. And either one, I just don't do it at all. Or two, I go and I do a bunch of stuff to avoid it or to avoid doing it to be productive over here. And so emotionally unintelligent with leaders and fear almost always find themselves not doing the hard things that they need to be done. Whereas emotionally intelligent leaders can go, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm afraid that this might fail if we don't do these three steps. And then use that to go, okay, cool. Let's go do these three steps. Or maybe we don't have time and we have to make a decision. But fear, especially being able to walk up to it and just go, what am I afraid of? And take that as data and a gift. What do I want to do with that? 
that's that's a huge core skill set I see in emotionally intelligent leaders. And the the funny thing that it, it it's funny to say it, but I also think a lot of leaders aren't emotionally intelligent when it comes to um, happiness and creative energy. Happiness, especially, I see people not fully feeling happy, not fully celebrating the wins. And the cost of that is actually, I see resilience start to plummet because the whole ride just feels like misery after misery after misery after misery. And so happiness is like, when you get a win, fucking celebrate the win. Emotionally intelligent leaders know like, hey, we had a win. And even though we don't know if the company's going to work or the project's going to work, let's get the team lunch. Let's take them out to dinner. Let's do something. Let's actually be fully in celebration when there's a space to celebrate. Versus a lot of leaders fall into the thing of like, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And they never create space for happiness and celebration. And then there's a similar thing with creative energy that I've seen. And I, I can think of some specific people where the, where I see emotionally emotional unintelligence with creative energy is um, there's a, a fear underneath it that it's really scarce. And so every time it shows up, you have to ride it like a banshee and actually burn yourself out with it. Versus actually being able to hold the capacity for the creative energy and just ride it over the long run. I make up, I, I've seen this in creators, I see it in leaders, but a lot of people don't have the capacity to just hold fully creative energy and just ride it over the long term versus making it a real quick short thing that they burn out on. I think the thing that's resonating for me in this, which I appreciate, like, right, we, it, it brings me back actually to Corey's crayon metaphor which is that so much of this to me is recognizing that our um, emotions are not singular, right? They're, we have a portfolio, we have a plethora of colors. We have a portfolio of colors and some of them are positive on the forefront, right? Happiness, creative energy, sometimes not depending on your creative energy. Stanislavski method is such a shit show. Some of them are negative, like sadness or anger, or fear, but they can also be informative. And so I think that a lot of emotional awareness is also recognizing that we're dealing with, with like a portfolio, like an S and P of emotions. There's a cocktail a couple, that shows like up. It's, right. Like some of them are coming up. They don't stay forever, which is why in the book, toxic positivity, they talk about not, I am sad. I am feeling sad. It's not, I am sad. I am feeling sad is really important because it helps you recognize that emotions shift and change. There's another layer to that, just briefly, Ricky, that's also yeah, sometimes me. it's, I am making myself sad. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is, there's a way I'm relating to this situation where I'm making me sad because I'm projecting a bunch of beliefs around it. And so yeah. that's another big linguistic shift in emotional intelligence that could be helpful is, am I actually, am I, can I own that I'm creating this emotion? I'm creating my frustration. I'm creating my sadness in this now moment. Yeah. And, and sometimes they're just waves passing through, but oftentimes I'm the one who's making, creating this emotion right now. Yeah. It's, it's so, it, it's so interesting because you're, when you were saying that it was bringing me back, God, I'm going to make people mad. But like when we were talking about highly sensitive people, like HSPs or like empathy, I feel like there's oftentimes in that space, there's a lot of the capacity and ability to find space and recognize negative emotions. I'm like, Ooh, well, if you're only recognizing the negative emotions and not also the positive emotions, are you truly empathetic? Are you truly a highly sensitive person? Because it's not, you're only on one frequency or wavelength, right? It makes me think of just in your example for leaders that are, could be very empathetic, but if they're only ready to deal with it when it's shitty and can't handle and figure out how to celebrate when it's not so shitty, it's like, it's kind of recognizing that we have to allow ourselves to feel the whole, all the colors of the rainbow. And that's what you made me think of. I've got one example I actually want to share from us because I'm thinking that it could be relevant and fun. Um, which is, I feel like we had a good example of how this can play out with actually an email I sent you all recently. You might remember. <laughs> which I'll tell you, I, I'll let you all know about me, which is... I was away on a trip and we had just recently launched the podcast and Justin, not just any trip. I was, well, I, do, I don't want people to think of me that I'm brooding when I'm on my honeymoon, but I was on my honeymoon. And 
Be honest. We were in a period of great <laughs> happiness. I was in a period of great happiness. And I made myself frustrated because we had just launched the podcast and I got, I hooked myself on the thought for a moment. Well, we're not promoting this as much as we could be. We, sh we should be promoting this more. And so I made myself frustrated. And similar to Ricky, I flagged and I went, okay, I'm feeling frustration. But I know this has nothing to do about Corey and Ricky. This has everything to do about me. So I kind of noticed the frustration, right? There's some heat. There's some tension. I kind of, you know, I can feel it in my jaw and my fist and kind of clench. And as I'm just with that and move it through, it's actually like, oh, this is really simple. I just want us to be promoting more. And I'm triggering myself with a sense of scarcity. And underneath the anger, there's some fear, which is, oh, I'm afraid the podcast isn't going to be successful. And what I said to you all is, oh, there's, there's a little deep insecure fear here that I make up I'm promoting more than they are. And maybe they don't, they're not as into this podcast as I am. And at that point, I went, okay, cool. I just need to tell them that I want us to promote more. And there, I, I shared all of that with you because I wanted you to know about it. And the responses were as expected. Ricky was like, oh, Cool. I love the podcast, just so you know. And Corey being Corey was like, cool. I also think we should focus on growth, which is I, I share that because it's it's you all also had the emotional intelligence and Corey pointed this out to be like, oh, Justin doesn't need us to fix these emotions. He's he's just sharing that with us. And also I make up over here. It was I owned it. I wasn't saying you're making me mad. You're making me afraid. Here's what's here. And then all three of us could just circulate on the issue, which is, oh, we want to be putting some more time and energy into growing the podcast. That for me is what emotionally intelligent collaboration looks like. I, I love this story. And I still remember, because we've all worked together for a while. And I, I think I was telling some story to, to my boo thing. And he was like, God damn it. Throw a bunch of fucking coaches in a room. And the level of emotional intelligence is so high. Because... We've had experiences in the past, right? That we sit down, we have to talk and everybody's owning their shit. There's no blame. We're not pointing fingers. We're not, you're doing this or you're not doing enough. And he was like, I want so many more of you in the workplace. <laughs> because it's like every other meeting is like, oh, whose fault is this? Or what went wrong? And like, you know, there's so much more heat in the room. And he was like, I can't believe that like the three of you would collectively sit in a room and just happily talk about like, ah, so we are yeah, we fucked up on this thing. And he's like, with no judgment. It's just immediate. Y'all are like, this is the thing that I need to talk about. This is how I'm feeling about it. All right, so now what do we what do we like to do about it? We all need more coaches in our lives. And we all need to be more emotionally intelligent. I love I Justin's email, though. Another thing with this, so a couple layers. One, yes, it was a great email because it also just like showed all of our personalities. And part of it too was like <laughs> each of us knowing each other and our personalities well enough to like, oh, this is, this was their action and this was their intention, right? Cause like I could have come across a super dickish, but just been like, cool, got it. That, like ignored everything so you said. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But Justin recognized it like, oh, Corey assumes I have self soothed by now and isn't looking for validation. He, and I know that Corey doesn't really fuck with emotions. He, <laughs> fuck, he fucks with logic and like, what is the Getting solution? Getting shit done. Let's get shit done. <laughs> right? So like, we all know how each other operates to a degree. And, and that helps a lot too, right? But the other thing is, you know, Jocko Willink talks about extreme ownership, right? And the the basic concept is is if I can find where I am at fault in this situation, I control me. I don't control you. So it isn't about how can I blame everything on me so much as how can I find where I can exert control in this situation? So when the three of us, you know, talk about something, each of us is saying like, okay, what do I control? I control my shit. So let me own my shit rather than blaming somebody else because I, I have given up any control I have at this point and I've potentially harmed that relationship because resentment is really easy to fester, right? And that's a big part of EQ in, in any kind of environment, either working with yourself, like working alone or collaborating with others. Resentment is so easy to sweep under the rug, but resentment compounds better than almost anything. So the sooner you can recognize either recognizing in yourself, I am becoming resentful because of X, Y, or Z, 
or learning to, I hate the term, but learning to quote unquote, read people and be like, they seem like they are becoming resentful based on a change in their affect, their behavior, their tone, something. Let me see if I can start a, a dialogue with them to suss that out and take correct, corrective action sooner rather than later. All of that comes down to EQ. Corey, two ideas I want to point to that this is not how everyone does emotions, but I found them really, really useful are, as you said, one, the first notion is of uh, taking 100% responsibility for my emotions. So when I'm feeling an emotion, it's no one else's job out there to, to fix the emotion or help me handle it. That's on me. And so my job is I'm feeling an emotion feel the emotion, go into it, let it be here. What is it telling me? Okay, I'm wanting something different. I'm wanting this, I'm wanting that. And then going out into the world, not run by the emotion again, but in conscious choice around what it has. That has been so insanely transformative. And the second thing that I think is really important, which we don't have it, but it's kind of implicit, is one thing that helps in, to an insane degree with interrelational emotional intelligence is having clear agreements around how we're going to handle emotions with each other. It gets really messy if I'm playing a game of 100% responsibility for my emotions and you you should with yours and you as my partner are like, no, 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 no. I want you to play the game where you help me dissipate and pacify my emotions. And so being really clear of are we on the same page? This is especially valuable in romantic relationship, but also tight co-founding leadership collaborators, insanely important. How are we going to handle it when in a meeting, I say something that pisses Corey off and I sense it? Are we going to call it out? Is it Corey's job to go do it and come back to me? Is it my job? Having clear agreements on how we want to handle emotions that are also challenging for us is so, so valuable when it comes to interrelational emotional intelligence. I think also when, and something that you said there that I thought was really interesting was recognizing the, you know, extreme ownership from Corey and this hundred percent personal responsibility of recognizing these are my emotions. It's not your job to fix them. And yet at the same time, if we are spending time focusing on recognizing our emotions, we are able to more explicitly and better understand what we require from the people that we're working with. And how we can help them better partner with us, whether it's a co-founder, whether it's someone else in C-suite, whether it's someone on our team. You know, it, it takes me back to something as simple as like feedback, right? People talk about feedback and why it's so tricky. And the reason why is because it's incredibly emotional. The way that I deliver feedback, the way that people receive feedback, we are all so uniquely different. And I still remember I was managing a team and I asked them, how do you like to receive feedback? Half of them said, I don't know, right? Because they hadn't had the experience of recognizing how does it work for me to have receive constructive criticism or feedback? How do I navigate that discomfort? How do I communicate what I require from someone else? And so when we get better at being emotionally intelligent about being aware of what we want and also being able to communicate what we need, it ultimately creates that psychological trust and safety that Corey was pointing to and helps us be more effective leaders and partners romantic or colleagues as well. It, it just puts you in a better position when you can come into a conversation and say, Hey, this is where I'm at. And this is what I need from you. Or, Hey, this is where I'm at. I don't need anything from you. I just need you to know, right? These are different situations. And so without that, when we're looking for everybody else to soothe us while we act like a baby, it makes it a lot harder when you're working with someone who has big emotions and wants everybody else to fix it for them. There's a difference. I think that's what I'm trying to highlight is that there's a difference between expecting people to fix it versus being able to be aware of what you want and communicating how you want to partner with people and help them come into the circle with you. All right. I got two final questions for us. Let's do it. it. Cause we've been talking one. We've asked this question for a couple times. Is it possible to be too emotionally intelligent? No. No, I think that when you leverage the, the description that Corey gave, no, because that just, there's not two. It's just recognizing 
like the awareness, the literacy and the self-regulation that there's not too much of that because part of the process of being emotionally intelligent is recognizing, naming and regulating. Now, if, if you over index on any one of those three components, then mm -hmm. yes, but the full package, in my opinion, no. If you're doing all the steps, you're. Yeah. If you, that, that was exactly my thought, which is no, but you can get stuck on the ladder somewhere and then get fixated. And now you're, you're at, you're not emotionally intelligent. You're just, oh, you're too emotionally oriented. You are fixated on, oh, I'm feeling a feeling, but you don't actually regulate and respond around it. Or like Corey said, with artists and content creators, you feel the feeling, but you don't actually regulate. You just kind of hold it there. And yeah, go you name it and it. hang out in it. Yeah. And so I don't think you can be if you're the full stack, but you, you can get stuck at certain points and then not actually be truly emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can overly regulate to the point that you basically deny it and become a robot. Right, like any of those can can become overbalanced. Okay, and question our final answered. question answered definitively. There are some <laughs> clear answers. Um, <laughs> Got to rename the podcast. Some clear answers. <laughs> some clear answers. A bit of clarity. What practices do you recommend to people who want to cultivate more emotional intelligence? Read Stoicism and Buddhism. I'm always going to say that. That's always my answer. Anytime it, it comes up with any shit related to emotional regulation, read Stoicism, read Buddhism, and then practice it. Uh, journaling is, is always the one that I'm going to throw out there. Like a lot of people don't journal. They hang out in their own brain. Your brain thinks really, really fast. Taking time, just a couple pages, a couple minutes every day that you're just writing about how are you feeling? What has happened that day? We're not doing a list of tasks, but um, Pennebacher has like a writing exercise around emotional intelligence that is basically you spend like a certain amount of time and then you just write and then you throw it all out. It's just getting better at thinking through how do I feel today? I think it makes a massive difference. I'm always going to say journaling. And of course, if you want to read Stoicism, go for it. I'm going to talk about each step on the ladder in mine. For... Just emotional awareness. For this conversation. <laughs> I am the showrunner for this episode. <laughs> Tell us. For emotional awareness, I think finding a system to regularly check in with yourself and literally ask the question, what am I feeling? Is so valuable. There's some tools uh, for, there's an app for iPhone called Mind Jogger and an app for Android called Randomly Remind Me. I was introduced to these through the Conscious Leadership Group. And what they're nice is you can set a prompt that it will, in a window, and you can say, send me this prompt X number of times throughout the day. You can say five times randomly throughout the day, send me the prompt, what am I feeling right now? And doing that will help you build the muscle of emotional awareness. If you want to do a literacy too, I actually got this from a client. We started doing this work and he pinned as a bookmark or as a, something on his desktop, a feelings wheel. There's tons of great resources online for building emotional literacy around build, giving you a bunch of words to describe feelings and pinning to what am I feeling right now, pulling that open and going, getting really specific, like going and looking for it can help develop more literacy. And then the last practice, which is actually regulation is going into the physical sensations in the body and going, what's, what am I actually feeling right now? Okay. My anger feels this way. My fear, I notice in my stomach, it's not. And just allowing and accepting that. And because emotions are anger in the body, seeing if there's anything that your body wants to do to match that feeling and dispel it. For anger, I have a lot of clients right now who I've convinced to buy um, these, these damn it dolls. They're 20 bucks. They're these little dolls that are meant to, when you're angry, you can whack them against anything. And I do, and I encourage people to keep it next to your desk and just experiment. How does it feel when I'm angry instead of going for a run and doing something else to actually like express some anger in that way? And there's plenty of resources you can do to dive into that with different feelings, but actually getting into some somatic practices to start to let emotions move through your body rather than holding onto them. And then asking, I think what Ricky pointed to, which is what want is this emotion pointing to? 
Mm-hmm. Usually they're pointing to wants. Yeah. And I think that also helps think, think through in terms of the regulation component of, is there an action that I would like to take or not take? Is there something that I would like to do in response to this information as well? Yeah, exactly. All right, friends, anything else you want the audience to know about emotional intelligence, being emotionally intelligent? Maybe we can do a deep dive into anger for a separate episode because there's a lot we could do with that. I think we could do one on each of those core emotions, theoretically. There's lots of juice we could squeeze here. Oh, damn. You're right. Talking about feels? I'm in. But not today. But not today, y'all. Not today, y'all. Mm-mm. All right. That's all I got. Let's land it. Doodles. <laughs>